Welcome in, friends, to Betting Pros. It's the Week 9 CFF Early Line Look Ahead. I am Chris Welsh. That is Thor Nystrom. Eric Froton took the week off. He's got the week off. He'll be back again with us next week. So it is just Thor, myself, breaking everything down for Week 9, getting you set for the lines, where the picks are, what's looking good early. But Thor, what was looking good in Week 8? Iowa wasn't. They disappointed. <laughs> Florida State did come back. Kind of crazy. Uh, any thoughts that you want to uh, uh, jump out for us for Week 8? Uh, not the referees. Um, they, I, you know, f- another fun week of uh, college football, but the, the, the refs, I, I got a, I got a bone to pick with them in that Iowa game in particular, the, the whole game shifted on the punt return at the very end where Cooper DeJean appeared to return a punt for a touchdown that won the game for Iowa still kept the game under, even if that punt return had gone through, but the, the refs ended up waving the punt off on a, a, a review of it where they weren't reviewing what they ended up reversing the call on, uh, taking the the touchdown away, they were reviewing whether he had stepped out of bounds. He did not. But on the review, as they were looking at it, they, they, they start looking closer and they're like, wait, what, what was going on with his hands there? Uh, and, and they ended up saying that uh, he they flagged him for what they called an inadvertent uh, 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 fair catch signal. Because what he was doing, the, the ball had hit the turf a couple times and then was, you know, rolling towards him at, at midfield or whatever. And then he ended up fielding it near the sidelines. But he was doing the whole poison, poison, don't touch it for his teammates and doing the like, yeah, like- the, the universal, you know, shaking uh, the hand by his waist of like, you know, Hawkeyes don't touch it, poison, poison. And uh, the the officials flagged him for for that, for inadvertent, uh, for, for a catching no. Um, if that is the letter of the law, and, and perhaps it is, I, I'm, I don't know, you know, the, the reading of that, and I didn't stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. The rule committee needs to go over that rule in the offseason and clarify whether the official fair catch thing is over the, the shoulder, over the helmet, a waving of the hand. And if that's, that's indeed the case, that no one on the field changed their the defenders bearing down on Cooper DeJean in that play, changed their behavior because he did the, the universal sign for teammates, get away, uh, the ball is bouncing on, on the turf in front of me, whatever. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it, it was a it was a ludicrous thing to, to pull the touchdown off for that. But I digress on that. Um, the, the Penn State-Ohio State game was interesting, too, where you saw an enormous swing where it arguably swung the results of the game based on a call that one probably more valid, but also a play where it didn't hinder or the the result of the play, it it wouldn't have changed based on the thing, but that one was, was a valid call. Uh, The holding on, on Marvin Harrison, where you had the the strip sack and the fumble return uh, for Penn state. If that play doesn't get pulled off the board, he had a 14 point swing there. Penn state brings the fumble back. Instead, that thing gets overturned because on the other side of the field, on the crossing route, they 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 flagged the holding uh, on you know on, on Harrison whatever, and and Ohio State ends up getting the first down. They end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. Ohio State ends up winning that game by eight points on a four, on a fourteen point swing whatever there at the end of the first half. So a couple uh, tough swings there, but um like I said, overall a, a fun day at college football. We had a, a couple stunning upsets. And we almost had more stunning upsets. The Virginia upset at North Carolina is one of those where you stare at it, you watch it, you watch the highlights. You still can't wrap your head around it. It just doesn't make any logical sense. Uh, Virginia, uh, the time of possession, they had it was like a 15-minute discrepancy. They, they just sat on the ball in that game. Uh, North Carolina has a lot to figure out. And then uh, the late-night game, Arizona State, almost uh, beat a, a Washington team that just decided not to show up a week after that awesome victory that they had over, over Oregon, at least Washington survived it, but they also have some stuff to figure out here over the next seven days. A bunch of crazy stuff totally got screwed by the Iowa thing, but we move on. We move to week nine. We got some uh, we got some good games for uh, to break down for you guys. And then Thor's also got some highlighted adjusted Thor lines at the end that you guys might want to target for some early betting. So 
Let's go kick it off to one of the bets that I did win. It was Florida State. Did not look good, by the way, against Duke for some time. And then um, the fourth quarter, things changed. Florida State is going to be going up against Wake Forest. Florida State opened at a 19-point favorite. So, Thor, what's your system got? What do you like? Is there a play here for you? Yeah, so let me start out with uh, with with the, the Florida State-Duke game. And we we need to investigate the situation with Riley Leonard. I just got into a brief soliloquy about some of the wonky things that happened yesterday. We could do a whole investigative podcast series just based on weird things that happened yesterday. But vis-a-vis this game, one thing that I'll be spending the next couple of days getting into is what is going on with Riley Leonard? You and I were talking about this before we got on the air for this show. Riley Leonard, I had been given indications all week including yesterday morning and up until the the afternoon that Riley Leonard was not going to be playing in that game, including from sources pretty close to Riley Leonard. Uh, And then all of a sudden you get to right before the the kickoff. And then it's like Riley Leonard's on the field warming up in his pads. And it's like, okay, well, I've seen that movie before. They just want Florida state to think that he's going to play. And then it's like, no, Riley Leonard's actually uh, on the field. He's taking the first snap. And it's like, wait, what? And, and so he ends up beginning that game and playing, and Duke is remaining viable in that game against Florida State. Uh, you know, Riley Leonard looks looks good enough, whatnot. And then Duke, without Riley Leonard appearing to aggravate that injury, Duke just takes him out. And they showed on the telecast, like, Elko going up to, to Leonard and being like, hey, man, like, we're not going to put you back in the game. Like, you know, go go take a seat. And, and then putting Bellin in the game, and Leonard appearing to not be happy about that decision. Um, you know, as, as you and I were talking about before, uh, before we got on, I'm not sure, you know, we don't know if there was a conversation before uh, that we saw that on the broadcast of like, did a team doctor come up to Elko and and say, I don't like the way he's moving around. Was there other discussions? Was, was someone in, in Elko's the, the headset? I don't know. Um, but the, the way that played out was super weird because all week, again, we had gotten the indications that he wasn't going to play on game day. We had gotten the same thing. It was pretty stunning to see him out there. And then it, it, it appeared like he was more or less fine to finish the game out. And then there was the dramatic about phase, even though it looked like Duke had a shot to win that game. Uh, so I don't I don't know what was going on with that. And I also just wanted to uh, to do some housekeeping for the Houston fans out there that are like, why are you talking about all this random wonky stuff going on, all the blown calls? But you didn't mention the fact of, of the worst spotting call in the history of replay where they, they the, 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 the spot with the, the you know, in, in, in our Texas game where they, they blew that whole thing. Houston Cougar fans, I get you that that was an abomination as well. I don't have time to get into all the, the wonky stuff that happened yesterday. Um, but as far as is this game with with Florida State and Wake Forest, um, a, a, another weird thing that happened yesterday, Wake Forest, uh, a 70 yard uh, touchdown drive within the, the final minute of that game where Wake Forest had their quarterback three in against Pitt, a, a quarterback three who had six passing attempts in his entire career heading into that game, a converted safety because Wake Forest top two quarterbacks were ruled out for that game. And Pitt, you know, Pitt was ahead. Wake Forest gets the ball back and it's like, this this third string quarterback, this converted safety, who had done nothing that entire game, had two interceptions, entered that last drive with with zero touchdown passes and like seventy yards, and then in that last drive, he had as many passing yards as he had the entire game up until that point, and then one more touchdown. It turned out on on that last drive, they end up winning the game because they get that touchdown at the very end. Um, that was a tough one because I was on pet. Um, I we got the under anyway, but um. This one, you turn around, we're going to have to monitor the status of Wake Forest starting quarterback. The third string converted safety uh, Wake Forest quarterback, it's not going to be good here against Florida State. That That is not going to work in this one. When Duke had to go to Bellin, it was, I mean, as you saw, uh, uh, Mr. Welsh, it was a totally different story than when they had 85% Riley Leonard or you know whatever percentage he was last night. You need to at least be competent on offense when you're facing Florida State. Duke's defense showed up last night, but it's a totally different thing when you just can't do anything on offense. That will be the case with Wake Forest. Wake Forest offense isn't even good with their starting quarterback, but at least they can try to attempt a competency with that 
th- the the converted safety guy quarterback they they don't even have that they can't even try for that the the last drive the that pit defense was i don't know what was going on there but uh in this game no uh you can't bet on on wake forest if it's going to be that the third string guy again so that that would be the only thing to monitor here maybe you could talk yourself into it if if the starter is going to be back for this game but that's the one thing to monitor here it would be florida state or pass if it's going to be the third stringer again all right, uh, some more early game action. We got Oklahoma, undefeated Oklahoma, 7 and 0, 4-0 obviously in the Big 12 versus Kansas. Oklahoma though, a 10 and a half point favorite. So Kansas 5 and 2. Is this line too low? What do you think, Thor? Kansas fighting Jayhawks, baby. Um uh, another near enormous upset yesterday. Uh we were on one of my better calls yesterday on UCF traveling to Norman yesterday. Uh, Oklahoma had a lot of problems with UCF yesterday uh, defending that explosive, uh, you know, both the efficient run game and then that that explosive passing attack. They had all kinds of problems with Javon Baker, first of all, um, in in, in that aerial offense at UCS and then uh, trying to put the the clamps on the, the rushing offense at UCF. Kansas does some similar things to UCF, not in the exact same way that Gus Malzahn does it. But they do it in the same way of the pre-snap motion stuff, the spreading you out, and then putting you into conflict uh, based on forcing you to tip your hand pre-snap with the motion. What kind of coverage are you in? And then where are we going to get the numbers? So we show the quarterback, that's that's where you get your pre-snap read, whatnot. And then we, we're going to put you into conflict. We're going to get the ball on the side of the field where we have the advantage, whatnot. And then, like I said, put your back end defenders into conflict, make them make a bad decision, basically. So Kansas can do some of those same different things. Uh, is there any shot that Jalen Daniels, the Kansas going to get Jalen Daniels back in this game? I would doubt it for a couple different reasons. I haven't heard the best stuff about the status of his back to this point. Uh, uh, some stuff about nerves and, and stuff like that. I don't know if he can make uh, sort of a miraculous turnaround here. I also haven't heard the best stuff about stuff he'd been saying in, in back rooms about maybe already thinking about a transfer in the offseason. Um I, I had heard some stuff and it has been, well, actually it was corroborated on my, my Saturday show by Mike Farrell said he had been basically hearing the same stuff that I have been hearing about. Mike Farrell said that he had heard from his uh, radio co-host Rick Neuheisel on the radio last week that Rick Neuheisel said he had heard that uh, Jalen Daniels was thinking about he wanted to transfer to one of the Los Angeles Power 5 schools to be the, a starting quarterback uh, next year which I had heard as well, Jalen Daniels is, is from California, et cetera. And when I initially heard that, I was like, you know, it's not just because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Kansas alum. It's like, Jalen, uh, first of all, what are, what are the odds that you beat out Malachi uh, Nelson at USC, you know, the number one quarterback in the last class uh, and the handpicked successor for Caleb Williams, uh, just about zero. And then what are the odds that you beat out Dante Moore at UCLA? Uh, probably less than zero. So it, th- the fact that he is already thinking about that and has apparently been forwarding that to a lot of different people where now it's being talked about, talked about, talked about like this, uh, it wouldn't seem to uh, indicate that there's great odds that he is going to be playing in this game, all of which is to say we're almost assuredly going to get Mr. Bean again uh, for Kansas. Mr. Bean played pretty good um, in, the, in the game before the bye. Did make a couple mistakes, a couple interceptions, but he had the, the, the four touchdowns. Um, Kansas put up points in that game. They they lost a close one against Oklahoma State. If they can put up points in, in this one, you, you get a little bit more than the double digits. But I, I do feel like this is more or less a, a fair line. I'm just going to come down to Ken, Ken Kansas put up uh, those points. But, yeah, I, I do think that this is a, a fair spread. Oklahoma, their defense can be had in, in the same way that, that we saw last week. But this is a game that I'm going to be um, handicapping a little bit more uh, this week. But I, I might be sniffing around the home dog in this one. Uh, we already talked. You talked a, a bit about the weirdness with Duke. Uh, Duke, number 16, Duke, 5-2 and two going up against number 21, Louisville, who is and 6-1, Louisville, is the favorite. The early line jumped at three and a half, but your system is kind of a value. I mean, they, 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 we're going to get, I don't get back into the waters, all the craziness with Duke, like you said, with Riley Leonard and stuff, but your system has Duke as a value here, but obviously there's some probably question marks if you would want to jump in on betting Duke. So what do you think on this game? Yeah. Live right now, we're recording on Sunday afternoon in Vegas. It's, it's Louisville minus four, my system, Louisville minus one, 
but that's with my system being if Riley Leonard was was going to play. So that three points right there, that's what you're talking about. Vegas is it's baking in more the idea that Riley Leonard probably is not going to play. So the value there, it would be on Duke if Riley Leonard indeed does play. So if, if you think that Riley Leonard is is going to play um, or that he has a better shot to play than the market currently does, you would grab Duke right now because you're getting a free three points on the line. And I will say the Duke defense matches up exceedingly well, exceedingly well with the Louisville offense. The reason why is, first of all, Duke's defense is just good in a vacuum. And Mike Elko is as good a defensive play caller as Jeff Brom is a good offensive play caller. Those guys are just about as elite as, at what they do as we have in the sport. It's like two chess masters going at each other. That's must-see TV for me on next Saturday night uh, or next Saturday uh, afternoon, I guess. Um, so, like, and and in, in particular, exactly what their strengths are. Uh, Jeff Brom, he likes to, to show you looks, show you looks early on, see the way that you're reacting to that and then fish for big plays off of that. And that's how he derives them both in the passing game and in the running game. You know, basically how are you defending this? Look, how are you defending this? Look, he gets this off a of tape as well, but also the, the early game looks specifically how your defenders are doing it. And then whether it's over the top shot, whether it's the pursuit angles in the running game, and then we'll give you a misdirection. We're going to do something else off it that way. Um, the thing is though, with, with Duke, their defense takes away the explosives. They don't give up explosives. They they just categorically don't. They force you to be methodical down the field. Well, when does Louisville start to, to make their mistakes? It's when they don't get their explosives. That's when they start to get frustrated. They start to become like a, a petulant child of like, no, we want to get our, our really quick touchdown down the field. When you force them to go, you know, sort of like eat the elephant, like uh, bite by bite, that's when you start to see Jack Plummer like start to make the mistakes of like trying to force things in and, and whatnot. And Juar Jordan is a running back that wants to hit the dingers. He doesn't want to slap singles around. So so this offense, that's what that's what they want. They they only want to get the efficiency in order to set up the the, the long balls. Duke is able to take that away. However, as we know, Duke's do Duke, the, the the defense plays up when the offense can play up with it or when it can be supported like that. When Bellin is in. And they don't for Leonard. And when they don't have the offense where, where they can play off one another, and then it's just the defense and it's stranded out there. And then it always has to be out there because it's a three and out fest on offense or Bellin turns the ball over. Now the defense has to go back out there in bad field position and whatnot. That's where the tape, the tide starts to turn on them. Um, so that's the thing to monitor. Will Riley Leonard play or not? If Riley Leonard plays, I, I would like Duke in this one, certainly with the points. they I think that they would have a really good shot to win this game outright. If Riley Leonard does not play and it's Bellin again, uh, I for me, it's probably going to end up being a stay away, but uh, I, then it, it might be more Louisville in this one. All right, we got some SEC football. Number one, Georgia is going up against Florida. Five and two, Florida is. Georgia is a 12 and a half point favorite. I didn't get a chance to see where your system is at on this, uh, though we were talking before the uh, before the recording that your system and what dropped on the early lines, very, very uh, step one, two, like they're kind of locked in together. So is there some value and is there a play in this SEC matchup? Yeah, are we, are we still allowed to call it the world's largest outdoor uh, cocktail party? Party. Um, <laughs> I still calling it the the Red River Red River uh, Shootout. So I, who cares about the PC stuff? This is the world's largest uh, outdoor cocktail party. And yes, my so this thing actually dropped when the first lines came out. Sunday is just for people that don't know when the 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 real entertainment on Sundays is not the NFL games. It's when the the college football lines drop on the offshores because the sharps are the ones that have the access to it. And the the first when they drop. It's not it's not the solidified lines that you see later in the week with the when when all the market has had a chance to just fine tune it and the books have an enormous money on both sides so you don't see as much of the 
the the big time line movement. It's just like sort of like a a, a feeler. It's like a flare that the the books send out, and then you just have an enormous amount of the the, the limits are lower, but it's like you get this this batting around of the lines. It's like really intense of like you know money on this side, money on this side. You're seeing limit bets. You know, bang, 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 and so you see toggling back, boom, 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 boom. Um, this line dropped actually at Georgia minus 15.5 and obviously was hit, 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 uh, down to the line that you just mentioned. My line on this one was, uh, Georgia minus 14.8. I, I think you could argue for the viability of a line beneath, uh, two touchdowns, uh, which you're, you know, you're saying it is already at this point because of the, um, absence of Brock Bowers, which cannot be understated on this specific Georgia team. This specific Georgia team does not have the dominant defense, number one, of the last couple national title teams. Number two, they do not run the ball as dominantly as the past couple uh, national title teams. Number one, because they don't have the quite the offensive line that they did the last couple of years. Number two, because they don't quite have the dominant running backs of the last couple of years. And then if, if you believe that Carson Beck is a downgrade on Stetson Bennett as well, um, then, you know, you, you have that as well. And then Brock Bowers was sort of the trump card that they had both in certainly in, in the passing game that the matchup nightmare guy that, that no opponent has a guy that, that can uh, uh, trail that guy, whether it's down the field, whether it's across the middle, whatever, but also in the run game. Because you could do so many different things with him in terms of the motion, in terms of getting him involved in the running game, the jet sweeps, different stuff like that. Now you take him off the field, you don't have that trump card anymore. So you have to downgrade uh, them. Uh, Brock Bowers, in terms of uh, worth on the line, certainly the most valuable tight end in the nation by far. Um, he's almost transcends that positional value. But he, to me, he is worth a couple points uh, on the line and – that's there's I mean, there's just not many other non quarterbacks where, where you would say the same about him. But yeah, to me, this this line, it's it's that that's a, about fair uh, where it is right now. Th this is a no bet for me right now. I will be investigating this one more uh, as we go forward this week. Well, if you guys want to investigate as well throughout the week, obviously you want to check out all the great shows we've got here on betting pros. But the best way to do it is get betting pros, get the app. On your phone, your iOS or Android today, you can follow top experts like Thor, top-rated bettors, bettors on hot streaks, and you can get instant notifications when new bets are placed. You can also customize it so those notifications can be specifically for ROI positive, historically ROI positive markets for that certain better because we can bet lots of different stuff. Take advantage of these features and a ton more. Download Betting Pros, the app, by visiting bettingpros.com slash apps or just go into your, your store, Search betting pros, you're locked in, and start following some of the best today. Next up on the card, we're looking at BYU going to Texas. Texas is now 6-1, and one, and they are almost a uh, three-touchdown favorite against BYU. 20-and-a-half. Is that a key marker to jump in early or no? What do you think this one uh, is going to get to, and are you placing any bets on BYU-Texas? This is stay away early. Uh, my, my Funny enough, my, my line is uh, Texas minus 20.3. This is one that opened up earlier today at Texas minus 18.5, and then it jumps up to two right to, to where my line is, and that's the correct line movement early on. I, I think this one probably closes 21, maybe 21 and a half, but that's, that's going to be where it gets interesting once it gets to the, the 21, but it makes sense that, that probably it gets through tonight at the 20 and a half. To me, that's the objectively fair line. It was, it was dropped uh, earlier today, a little bit low. Um, BYU had, they, they had a good showing uh, yesterday um, in, in terms of their win um, and, and, and a, a one that where it was, it was a bit more margin uh, than we thought, but the opponent, um, had a you know so, some injury problems whatnot uh, with Texas Tech they they ended up beating BYU beat Texas Tech twenty seven to weeks BYU they're a team that's five and two but it's a bit of a paper tiger thing their wins this season over Sam Houston State who has not won a game all season long then they beat uh, uh, BYU's next game they beat an FCS team then they beat Arkansas that has only two wins this season and is about to fire Sam Pittman then they lost to Kansas then they beat Cincinnati that, who's going to miss a bowl game. Then they lost to a down TCU team, and then they just beat Texas Tech. So again, a paper tiger type five and two team. Um, but I, I think more or less this line is fair. So um, this is a wait and see one for me, and probably not a game I'm going to bet this week. 
All right. Well, this should be a good one. Number nine, Oregon, this Pac-12 action. Boy, this game. Uh, they're six and one going up against Utah, number 14, who's also six and one. Both losses came in the Pac-12. Utah, a one and a half point favorite. Man, Utah football has been interesting, but this is a powerhouse matchup. Is there any line value out of your system? And is there a bet that you're uh, trying to jump on early? What did you say the line was, though? Now I got it at betting pros early at minus one and a half Utah one and a half. That was on betting pros about an hour before we started. What do you got? Wow. Um, yeah. So the, um, I'm seeing at a, uh, one of my books live, it's Oregon minus five. Uh, the one that was on my sheet was Oregon minus five and a half. So that's, that's an interesting mm. line that you're seeing. Um, yeah, let me, I'll, I'll double check it. Cause this was just on betting pros a little bit earlier, uh, yeah, before maybe everything locked in, but this was the very, very early line that I got. Let me see if I'm off though, but you go ahead. Yeah. The, um, um, and, and, you know, like, like we were mentioning before the the lines, uh, vacillate wildly on Sunday. So, so you never do know. Um, but yeah, the, with, with Oregon right now in the market, you know, it's, it's five or five and a half, depending on, on where you're looking at right this, this second, my line is Oregon minus 4.7 heading to Utah. Um, an interesting one here in that, uh, Utah yesterday, they avoided both a, uh, 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 they're, they're the foibles that you had seen earlier this year with them going on the road. Um, and they also sort of, uh, fended off the USC bounce back spot, you know, with, with USC coming off that Notre Dame one. Um, so they were able to, to fend that off on, you know, in addition, um, and Utah continues to, to, uh, you know, also stave off the enormous amount of injuries, uh, to their roster. And by the way, continue more and more injuries every single week. This is a, a certified zombified Utes roster at, at this point. Uh, again, just getting worse and worse and worse uh, every single week. Um, uh, after yesterday's win, uh, last night's win against USC, it was confirmed by uh, Utes coach Kyle Whittingham that Cam Rising and um, Brian Keithy, the tight end, that they have been shut down for the season, which at least uh, finally, like I, I was able to finally cut Brian Keithy off my 50-team college fantasy football roster last night. Uh, I was finally able to admit to myself that I had made a mistake on that one. Um, but like I said, just, just more and more injuries for the Utes. They, they lost, a, um, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to filibuster for some time because they, they lost a, a key defender as well. As, oh, Lander Barton. I, I, was, I was like, who am I blanking on? Lander Barton, their stud linebacker, they lost him too. It's like every single game. They, not only have they been out all these these key guys, but it's like every single game they lose another key guy, and it's like it's like God is testing Kyle Whittingham. It's like you know, it's like this this like Job like season, and it's like you know, God is like Kyle Whittingham. I want to see just how good of a coach you are, and just you know how good of a record you you can do without half of your roster, or whatever. Um, so we're, I mean, we're going to find out now with now without Lander Barton as well. Uh, yesterday against USC, this convert, you know, I was talking about the converted safety that uh, Wake Forest had to start at, at quarterback yesterday uh, and, and not good. Utah, they have a converted safety that that they they had started running back and had run for 150 yards two weeks ago. Yesterday against USC, this kid not only was, uh, you know, doing stuff as as a traditional running back. Now they have him doing all these receiving concepts. So th the kid is a, as a runner. Uh, uh, Sione Vaki is the kid I'm talking about. He had nine carries for 68 yards yesterday against USC, but as a receiver now, and, and this is some of the stuff that we hadn't seen before, five receptions, 149 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, I don't know how Whittingham and his staff uh, do this kind of stuff. It, it's stuff where, like, at Iowa with, with Brian Ferentz, you just want to shake him and be like, do the stuff that Utah does when they're in these scenarios uh, with Cooper Deshaun. Put Cooper Dijon on, on offense, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, obviously, Utah is in a pickle. But in uh, um, this game, can Utah patch it together again against uh, a really good opponent in Oregon? Now that Utah's going back home, the place where they traditionally play really well. That was the impressive thing about yesterday, where you go to USC, a team that is in, uh, we absolutely need to win this game kind of scenario. USC was at home. And, and uh, Utah was able to more or less put the clamps on Caleb Williams. It wasn't like the implosion kind of uh, Caleb Williams game like like the week before, 
but Utah was able was able to hold Caleb Williams 24 uh, for uh, 24 for 34, 256 yards, no touchdowns. There wasn't an interception, but again, Utah was able to more or less keep them within the bumpers and hold down that the the um, offensive output. And then between the Vaki guy, between uh, uh, Jaquin and Jackson putting up 117 yards, and Bryson Barnes had one of his better games, had three touchdowns, 235 yards passing. They were able to scratch out enough offense to end up pulling out that game by three points with, with, with the field goal late and whatnot. My line is pretty close on this one. It would be a different story for me if Utah had to go on the road in this one. But like with, with Utah being at home, I think that this this line is pretty close. This one is not a, an early week bet for me. This one's going to be one where I'm going to be investigating investigating it more during the week, seeing if, if if some of those Utah guys that have not been ruled out for the season, we are now getting a longer list of Utah guys that have been ruled out for the season, but are some of those guys that are, are on the weekly questionable report for Utah, are, is Utah going to get back any of more of those guys where I can project more uh, roster strength for Utah in this game, or is it going to be you know closer to the true zombified uh, Utes uh, roster in this game against Oregon? We'll check back uh, later this week in the midweek pod, um, and, you know, and, and then the Saturday show with Farrell for for my my final referendum on this game. But no bet for me right now. By the way, uh, getting back to it, the line, the the very first line, betting pros, if you're on the website, you can check game odds. You can see what all the different sites have for their current lines. You can also see what the first line that was made available. The first line that was made available was Utah minus one and a half. So that's where like I literally saw it as it was posted. Mm. And then it has moved to, as you said, there. there's a plus five and a half on Utah right now. So uh, there's been some really interesting line, uh, interesting line movement that's gone on with that one. All right, let's go over to Tennessee, who's five and two up against Kentucky, also five and two SEC football. Tennessee, I've got at three and a half, but I'm now dicey about it. I'm gonna have to confirm all my lines. Yeah, it looks like it's still around three and a half on most of the markets. So what do you think on this game? Is there a bet for you? My line is uh, Tennessee minus 4.9. Uh, Tennessee very strange game yesterday against Alabama where the first half was the the game was in Tuscaloosa. First half was the best half of football I have ever seen Joe Milton play. And it came totally out of nowhere. uh, Right. Like he did not project to play well in that game on the road against that really, really good Alabama uh, defense. But you got every good aspect of good bazooka Joe Milton. He was poised. He was throwing well down the field. The accuracy ticked up. Like it was like, oh my gosh. Like when like when people are like, oh, the toolsy Joe Milton, the, the Joe Milton that someone could take a shot on on day two of, of the upcoming NFL draft, just because of, of that theoretical upside. This is the tape that they will point to. Um, and so it was like, uh, Tennessee has got a real shot here to to spring the upset. And then it was like they went into halftime, but then it was like the the real Joe Milton uh, showed up after halftime. I, I guess not not the mistakes, but he just you know he sort of reverted back, turned into a pumpkin, and then in kind sort of the rest of the Tennessee offense. That the Alabama run defense was incredibly impressive throughout, uh, which is a part of the reason why Joe Milton's first half performance was so impressive because he didn't have the run game with him. But uh, Alabama shut off the lights on 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 Tennessee's run game in that one, and. Uh, um, uh, Alabama was able to start scratching out the offense in in the second half and and come back in this game. Uh, Kentucky, uh, we've seen hit or miss Kentucky uh, this year. Overall, they're playing better than we thought coming into the season, but uh, it seems to be sort of a, 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 a circumstantially opponent dependent as as far as how they play. But they they do get Tennessee at home here. Uh, Kentucky is sort of a gatekeeper of of the SEC. And maybe sort of Tennessee is as well. So, so you sort of have these teams in a similar phylum. Um, my system leans uh, Tennessee in this one with, with where the line is right now because my, my line being more like Tennessee minus five. I, I don't know, though. This is not one where I would advocate for the bet right now. This is one where I want to get uh, deeper into the, the numbers because I, I think I like Kentucky just a little bit more than – my system does, and I'm always reticent about Joe Milton on the road against a decent defense uh, where I, I think the mistakes can start to pile up. That's that's why I was so stunned about the first half performance last week, and I, I do like Kentucky's uh, defense. So this one's a stay away for me. I'm, I'm going to be getting into the handicap more this week. 
All right, let's go over to the Big Ten. We've got Ohio State going to Wisconsin. Wisconsin's five and two, three and one in the Big uh, Ten. Obviously, Ohio State hasn't lost a game. OSU, 13 and a half is where I'm seeing the line. Again, those those little key markers on those touchdowns. What do you think on uh, Ohio State? Is this a play for you? Is this a, maybe a total play? I don't know where your line is at. So what do you think on uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin? My system is right where Vegas is. My my line on this one is Ohio State minus 13.3 in Madison. Um, I was impressed with uh, uh, Wisconsin's performance yesterday in Champaign. I was a little bit surprised with how bullish the market was on Illinois uh, this past week. They It's like everyone and their brother was on Illinois. And it's like, guys, if you watched Illinois this year, uh, they're they're terrible. And it's like, it was like just because uh, Wisconsin had sort of fallen on their face against uh, a really good Iowa defense, you know, that was SP plus number one heading into yesterday and probably still will be, I assume, uh, this week, even, you know, after the loss against Minnesota. But uh, when in that game, Wisconsin had lost Mordecai in the middle of the game and then they had thrust their back up into it and Wisconsin, they just, Wisconsin's offense couldn't do anything. So everyone was betting Illinois in that revenge spot for, uh, you know, revenge spot or whatever for Brett Bielema. And it's like, Wisconsin's better than, you know, Illinois, you know, I, I thought or whatever. And that that's what ended up bearing out in that game. Last week, I had done a deep dive into that backup quarterback of Wisconsin just to see sort of where we were at. I didn't know anything about the kid. I I only got the bandwidth for the draft and then the, the college football season, you know, the college football teams. You know, I, I go like half the year of, of each. And I, what I don't have the bandwidth for is is deep diving the recruiting stuff. So I just have to sort of get to know those kids as they start to uh, play right or like you know whatever. So the 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 Wisconsin backup quarterback is this kid named Locke, and he had started his career at Mississippi State. He is like a student of the air raid, so he wanted to play for Mike Leach. And obviously, Mike Leach's untimely death, like the kid that Locke had followed there, Sawyer Robertson. Sawyer Robertson was another uh, uh, air raid disciple. Sawyer Robertson had transferred out. He went to Baylor after that. Locke, he also transferred out after that. He ended up picking Wisconsin. And they he talked about after he transferred that the reason he did that was he had talked a ton to uh, Phil Longo and, and the system of Wisconsin um, the, the, the athletic had talked to, uh, this lock kid's father about how, like he had stumbled in on the meeting when they, they visited, uh, Madison during the transfer process and how, like, it was like multiple hours where his son was talking to Phil Longo and they were just like drawing plays on napkins and like finishing each other's sentences and the, the system, like they just, you know, the, the kid like understood it really well because of the air raid principles and whatnot. And so the idea that like he wasn't going to know what he was doing, at least as far as the system went, um, I, I figured that at least he was going to know what what he was doing. And he flew over that lock kid flew over his uh, passing totals yesterday. And obviously they, they were able to pull out that win. This is going to be a different can of worms here against Ohio State, clearly. And he's going to be not uh, with the system pulled out of his comfort zone, but pulled out of his comfort zone in terms of the game script, um, almost assuredly, because Ohio State, you you would imagine, is, is going to get out to a lead and it's going to force Wisconsin to throw more than they would like, get away from Braylon Allen, uh, et cetera, um, trying to get back into the game. But uh, objectively, my my system says that this is a, a fair line. Obviously, Ohio State has has to go in here. And Ohio State, you have to say it, they're coming off that big win against Penn State. There was the big swing play in that game, like we talked about, um, that, you know, and, and Ohio State was able to take advantage. And then in, in the second half, they were able to pull away in that one, end up winning by eight. Now they go on the road to, to Wisconsin in this one. I, I think Wisconsin would be more viable as far as a live dog if they had the the steady hand of Mordecai, the, the veteran. But again, I, I don't see a ton of value with where that line is right now. So that is an early week stay away for me. But that's another one where I'm going to be handicapping that one pretty close during the week. All right. The last one on the main slate that we're going to talk about. We got a Pac-12, uh, great Pac-12 game. I don't know if it'll be great from a betting perspective. We want to play Colorado, I guess, as much as we can. I'm kind of over it. But uh, Colorado's four and three. They are one and three in the Pac-12. They're going up against a ranked UCLA team who is five and two. And UCLA opened up at 15 and a half. So will the system bring us back to Colorado, Thor? Is there a bet that you want to jump in on this specifically early? 
Is it a 15 and a half live right now? Uh, that was what I wrote down here. Let me, I can tell you what uh, I, okay. So no, it opened at 15 and a half. Now best odds are 17 UCLA and you can get six, 17 and a half on Colorado. Oh, so that's that is, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah. So some of the other ones we, we talked about today, it's, it's different. This one, it's sort of the other way where, this one opened up where my line is, and then it it jumped up above it. So my line on this one is UCLA minus fifteen point five, and then you know it, it it jumped up to the the seventeen. Whereas some of these other ones where we talked about it, it like the adjustment then you know went went to where my number is. This is one where it opened up my number and the, and then it jumped up. This is an interesting one though, where um, it's a uh, you know maybe right now it's showing the the value you know in a vacuum is on on Colorado from where my system is, but uh, and, and I will say Colorado's coming off the buy and Colorado's going to be uh, more healthy right like uh, Travis Hunter should be more healthy now and and different stuff like that um, that you know they were a little bit banged up and they played so many uh, games you know and, and and different stuff like that but before their buy consecutively. That, that was a part of the, you know, uh, I think that played a part in, in the collapse there at the end against, against Stanford when they were up 29 nothing and a half. And you guys know what happened after that. Uh, the, the, one of the problems that I see in this game is UCLA in particular is a horrid, horrid matchup for this Colorado. I mean, they're designed essentially like the, the worst matchup that Colorado could have on the field for a couple different reasons. UCLA has an awesome pass defense. They have a really, really good secondary and they have the waves of pass rushers. So they can get after Shadir and they can also leave guys on islands while they're doing it uh, to combat the the spread offense and, and the receivers out there on the boundary that the Colorado is going to do. So I, I think that's a match as far as um, it, at least suppressing the scoring a bit uh, of that uh, up-tempo Colorado pass happy offense. And then on the other side, uh, UCLA doesn't have the best uh, passing offense. You know, now they've they made that bizarre decision after going with Dante Moore out of the gate, which you thought was sort of a sacrifice of like, you know, we, we got the five-star kid. Let's just roll with them in this. We'll take our lumps like we did with Dorian uh, Thompson Robinson five years ago. But then after doing that out of the gate, now they've decided to go back to Ethan Garbers. You know, he's just like the veteran caretaker guy. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I'm not really sure what they're doing with that because you would think that now they're uh, sort of risking a Dante Moore transfer, but maybe Petulant Chip Kelly doesn't really care about that. I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on with that. But probably uh, Ethan Garbers raises their ceiling at least this year Slightly, um, you would think, because uh, Dante Moore has had a couple of poor performances uh, this year. But uh, UCLA runs the ball very, very, very well. They have multiple really good running backs. Uh, Carson Steele is the the tackle breaker, and then they have a couple uh, dynamic guys uh, coming in off off the bench. Uh, Harden being one of them, um, and and so like they can do a couple different things with that. I, I really like their receiving core as well. So as long as they have the guy that can shuttle those guys the ball and not, uh, you know, put the ball in danger of, of the field getting flipped, you're doing fine there. The caretaker is really all you're looking for. So uh, this Colorado uh, defense that is not good at, at st- stopping the run whatsoever, Carson Steele should have a field day there. The, again, my system's showing a, a point and a half, two, maybe two points of line value here. But again, bad matchup for Colorado, even coming off the bye. Probably not something that I'm looking to bet right now. I will get into the handicap more this week, see if Colorado, the, the health status there and everything like that. Um, but yeah, not a bet for me early on. And, and, and again, bad match for Colorado. All right, we do have a couple extras here. These were some uh, adjusted lines from Thor that uh, popped out. I'm gonna, I'll just go in little groups of two. There's actually five, but I'll go two, two, one. Uh, Iowa State and Baylor jumped out as one that you specifically quickly wanted to talk about, or make sure that was like the one if we talked about any. And West Virginia and UCF. So, uh, do you want to hit on some of the adjusted line value that's sitting out there for both those games? Yeah, we'll talk. We'll take them one at a time. The Iowa State Baylor one. Uh, Baylor opened at minus one and a half today. And my right before we went on today, when I was I was telling you we, we got to talk about this one, uh literally right before we went on the record at my book, then it was it it finally posted at at one of the ones that, that I'm on. And it was Baylor minus one at that at that point. And so I tried to put in my bet for Iowa State plus one. 
and the book took it down before like it popped up i tried to put it in it took it down so i i couldn't bet it whatnot and it has not they've not put it back up and i'm i'm furious about it because i i, I think by the time they put it back up it's like i'm not going to get the the value that i want in it my line on that one is i would say minus 3.8 I think that line is badly off. And I think that's why they uh, they took it down so fast. I, I think they realized they made a mistake. And, every you know, when they're putting it up, they're they're getting hit on that side. Iowa State should, like I said, they should, Iowa State should be favored by three, 3.5, four. That's just qualitatively in a vacuum. Iowa State, that's how much they're better than Baylor. But beyond that, this is a really, really, really bad matchup for Baylor. Baylor, their worst thing is their offensive line. Their offensive line is horrid. It's like bottom of the power five kind of bad, uh, like 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 G, like bottom of the G five kind of bad is, is is what I'm talking about. Iowa State, their better thing is their front seven. They are going to create all kinds of havoc in this game. It goes without saying that Baylor is not going to run in this game. So all of the pressure is going to be on Blake Shapen. And as I've talked about numerous times this fall, Baylor's receiving core is not good. So, I mean, like, how does Baylor remain viable in this game where it's Blake Shapin's back there and uh, Iowa State's defense is good? Iowa State's offense isn't great, but the Baylor defense is way, way down. It, it just is what it is. So, I mean, like, uh, Iowa State's going to be able to carve out enough offense here. that the, the scoring of this game is going to be suppressed, but I would be surprised if Iowa State uh, does not win this game. Iowa State... That we made fun of them over the summer. They got hit with the the gambling stuff, and they they lost the guys. And then in September, uh, the Iowa State fans were clowning Matt Campbell. He was on the hot seat, everything like that. Iowa State has very quietly turned things around, and they are higher up there in the Big uh, Big Twelve standings, I think, than people realize. In fact. I, I don't exactly know the tiebreaker, but someone told me this on the phone before uh, earlier today. Don't quote me on this because, again, I don't know the tiebreaker. But somebody on the phone earlier today told me that if the season ended right this second, Iowa, Iowa State would be in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, again, I, I don't know the tiebreakers, but uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma is 4-0. The three – or I'm sorry, there's four three-and-one teams in the Big 12 right now. It's Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas State. But, you know, either way – Iowa State is up there higher in the hierarchy than than people realize right now. Baylor stinks. They are near the bottom qualitatively in in the Big 12. Again, bad matchup for Baylor. I like uh, Iowa State all day. They will be one of my better bets this week. All the line value is there right now. By kickoff, this thing is going to be Iowa State minus at least three. I would guess closer to four. Get on the Cyclones right now while you're getting the gift of them being an underdog. Uh, and what were your thoughts on the West Virginia and UCF game? That one, uh, the market hasn't caught up to, to UCF getting John Rice Plumley back. We talked about this last week in the uh, the handicap of the Oklahoma game where, you know, all week long you could get UCF plus 19 or 18 and a half. And it wasn't all the way up until the day of the game where it was like, people started to get that a little bit more and then it dropped to 17 and a half. And I think by kickoff, it was finally down to 17, but either way, any line you got, it was a gift. UCF actually had a shot at, at the end of that game to force overtime. Yeah. You know, they, they scored the touchdown at the very end. And then they had the two point conversion to, to, to force overtime. They had a, a stupid uh, two point conversion play called UCF. They profile as a team that should be like the best two point conversion team of all time. Cause like nobody uh, gets three plus yard gains uh, at a better clip than UCF in their regular offense, but they, they just call like the dumbest two point conversion plays ever. Uh, I, I don't get it. Like where they do like the, the motion stuff. And then they, they always have the ball going backwards. Uh, it's like, just do the stuff you usually do Gus, like stop, stop this. But uh, um, anyhow, in, in, in this one, it's, it's the same sort of deal where this line opens at uh, under a touchdown six and a half, even though UCF is at home, they're, clearly better now than they've been this season up to now outside of the first two weeks when John Rice Plumley was healthy, right? Like the, the, the other weeks in between them that, that were in the middle of that, they did not have John Rice Plumley, uh, but now he's back. And then West Virginia on the other side appears to be a bit in the tank after allowing that Hail Mary to Houston. Uh, they, they appear to be a bit in their head over the weekend. My line on this game is UCF minus 10.2. I, I think you're getting a free four points and over multiple key numbers there. 
if you can get this thing under uh, a touchdown, you absolutely take that one. I think UCF is going to run all over West Virginia. I think they can hit the explosive downfield shots as well. Um, I, I Easy scenario there, in my opinion, that UCF could win that one by two touchdowns or more. All right, uh, just super quick hitter, 10-cent tour. Three others you had, Notre Dame, Pitt, Boston College, UConn, and Miami, Ohio, Ohio. There was some line value there. Just give us a 10-cent tour on those uh, three real quick. Okay, we got to go one at a time because I can't, I can't do the three yeah, at a time. Yeah, that's fine. Notre Dame, um, Pittsburgh, quick one. Yeah, the I, uh, Pitt uh, is the terrible team that, that couldn't beat the third string converted safety at Wake Forest. My line on that is, is 20.5. It's 17 and a half right now. The the value there is on Notre Dame. If they can't punk them by three touchdowns, I, I don't know what we're doing there. Uh, Boston College, UConn. Boston people haven't caught up to that. Boston College has has got has been solid. Like the the first game they lost to NIU, the second game they almost got upset by an FCS team. Boston College since then has turned into the solid team that I thought they were over the summer. Just look at their their schedule, like what they, their body of work since then. They they now they have this this winning streak that they're working on. That team has finally coalesced. The, again, the market is not caught up to that. We have line value again on that. That's an early week fire for me. Uh, and UConn, they're still getting a, a weird bit of credit for last year's uh, the surprise bowl thing that Jim Mora brought them to. Line right now is twelve. My adjusted line on that is Boston College minus fourteen point two. If you if you're hearing this and it's still beneath uh, two touchdowns when you're hearing this. Uh, fire on Boston College would be my recommendation. Oh, I love that. All right, and then final one was that Miami, Ohio, Ohio, some action. Yeah, I, I I misfired on Miami of Ohio last week against Toledo, getting a couple points at home, mostly because Miami of Ohio started slow in that game against Toledo. They finished strong though, and almost pulled off the comeback. They didn't. They ran out of time. Is basically what happened on the back end of it, and lost by it was a four or something like that. Um, this game, though, they against Ohio here, they're going on the road of this one. But this line opened up Ohio minus four and a half. My line on it is Ohio minus 1.6. Ohio, they have been playing with their food as well. Sort of like the Toledo team, playing with fire, playing with fire, playing with fire. My, uh, Miami of Ohio for, you know, despite the fact that they lost last week, again, competed until the very end and I think if that game had been extended by 10 minutes, I, I think you would have seen a, a different team win that game. I, I think Miami of Ohio is extremely viable in this game as well. Um, and and um, I, I think this game should be closer to a pick than it is. So if you're going to give me four and a half, that's the, I'm going to take those points. And this is one where it's over a field goal, whereas last week, you know, we, we only got the two, but I'm, I'm going to take those points. I love it. Well, we got more content for you all week long. Bettingpros.com slash YouTube. Make sure you guys are locked in. We got the midweek show. We've got the Saturday show, Thor and Mike Farrell, 10 a.m. Eastern to get you live on all those things. Uh, Bogman, myself, and Mike Farrell have been doing a little bit of the midweek show. I believe Thor is back, not this week, but next week on the uh, on the midweek show. So make sure you're locked there. You can find Thor on Twitter at ThorKU and download the Betting Pros app because then you can track all of us where all of our bets are so you don't miss any of it you know we're not doing a show live for you that's thor i'm welsh on twitter at is it the welsh thank you guys so much for hanging out good look good luck in week nine and we'll talk to you next time right here on betting pros bye friends thanks for listening to the betting pros podcast follow us on x and tiktok at betting pros and instagram at betting pros nfl also subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash betting pros